We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Irish Corina said, is this upside down week? Why was a free-for-all move to Monday? Okay, Ryan explained this at the beginning. We talked about it last week. We asked for people's feedback on it, and the overwhelming response was that y'all like the idea of doing a mailbag on a Monday. It gives you a chance to ask questions about the game that just got played while it's still fresh. We haven't completely moved on. You can ask questions about the opponent to a degree. Uh, You can ask recruiting questions. You can ask college foot we've seen people asking about the college football season by friday to be honest with you a lot of you have checked out people aren't watching as much because it's like thursday's about as far as they'll go recruiting is is something that the timing of it on friday allows ryan to preview the upcoming visit weekends more preview the games that week get more time to get some intel from how the previous week went as opposed to you've got sunday ryan you better get it going because you got a show on monday so there just was a lot of reasons went into it. And the overwhelming response from people when we brought it up last week was that this is something that people really liked. So that's why we did it. So thank you for asking, because I'm sure there's still some people that missed, maybe missed the intro that didn't quite get that. We had a question from God Country Notre Dame Barbecue. If Marcus Freeman came up to you and offered you a Notre Dame football consulting job, would you take it? Your responsibilities would be looking at the team with a critical eye and reporting to him. No, I wouldn't take it. Um, two reasons. Number one, I love what I'm doing, right? I mean, that's the thing. I, some of you, I feel like you're trying to get rid of me. I'm, I'm joking, but I love what I'm doing. Number two, if Marcus Freeman wanted me to do that, he wouldn't have to hire me to do that. He could just call and say, Hey man, uh, I would really like this from you. And he wouldn't have to hire me say, look, man, we can meet up. We can talk every frequently. I can give you notes or whatever. I would, I would do that if he asked, but it's just, it's, it's, uh, it would be outside of kind of my role doing this. But if it came down to, if I got offered a, and I've said this all the time, what if you got a GA? I, I, I'm good not coaching anymore. I, I really am. I don't, I don't, I, I had that kind of that, that desire when I first got into this job. And then I got back into coaching for two years and was, and remembered all the things I didn't like about it. I love, I love the, 
game planning and I love the relationships of the players and nothing's better than game day, that battle of minds that you're having with the guy, you know, in the other press box. But there's a lot of things that I don't like not being around my wife, not being around, you know, my, my, my dogs being on the road all the time, um, you know, with recruiting and it's just, it's just not the life I want to lead anymore. So I'm good with that. And, and the jobs like consultant and, and um, GAs and analysts, those are grinding jobs, man. Like, grinding jobs so no if he wanted my opinion on the team he can do exactly what him and every other coach can do if you want my opinion if you want to to ask me what i think of it as an outsider if you want to be to to push back on a uh there was a coach on the staff current staff that didn't like something that i had said about him in a show called me up had a great conversation i explained i didn't back down from what i said he expressed to me that he didn't agree with where I was coming from, tried to give some context to certain situations. It's a great conversation. It's very respectful both ways. Um, my, oh, my line is always open if anybody wants it, but moral of the story is I love what I do. I really do. I, Cause if I, if I was going to do that as a paid employee, I couldn't be here talking about the team anymore and I couldn't do this job. And I also wouldn't be the boss anymore. And I just kind of like the idea of being my own boss. And, um, that that's arrogant and ego and all that. And I get all that, but I, I've worked very hard for a long time to get here. And I kind of like it. The other thing too, is if I stop doing this job to do that, well, what if he leaves at some point in time? And now I've got to hope that the new coach would like for me to do that. So I would, um, I would not that. Cause I, again, I, I couldn't, there just, it'd be hard to do that as a paid consultant and still do this. I just wouldn't want to, to do that, but I appreciate the question. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash Blue Wire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash Blue Wire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Xavier Kilowatt says Freeman at times looked dejected at mistakes and penalties, but I didn't see any fire in him about it happening, concerning or not. I, I look, guys, I think way too much we read into coaches' mannerisms on the sidelines. I think we read into that way too much. You saw a guy that looked dejected. I saw a guy that looked frustrated. And I can sympathize with that, absolutely being in games. He looked frustrated. Uh, as far see any fire? Like, Lash, <laughs> look, Xavier, at the end of the day, you only see a small portion Unless you're at the game and you're only looking at Marcus Freeman, you see a small portion of how he's interacting on the sidelines with anybody. 
And it's usually when he's complaining at officials. That's normally it. Every situation calls for something different. Is it concerning? No, it's not. And I'll say this about some other questions that we get down here, Ryan. There's like stuff about play calling and, and uh, Tristan Mai says, you know, seem like the play calling handcuffed the offense, very Tommy Reese, et cetera. Uh, is it a one-off, you know, game player and coaching wise? And, and like, there's, there's things we could say about that, Tristan, but at the end of the day is when you've played six games and one game was different than the other five, you shouldn't look at that one game and say, that's who that team is, right? And say, look, yeah. are, are, are we to believe that Georgia on every Saturday is only one touchdown better than Auburn? No. On that particular day, Georgia didn't play well. Auburn outcoached them in some ways. Georgia won the football game still. That's what matters. They had a, they had a bad day, right? I, mean, I wouldn't even say a bad day. I think I think Auburn had a great day. I think that a lot of that had to do with Auburn did some really good things in that game. You know what I mean? Duke did some really good things against Notre Dame. This wasn't just about Notre Dame playing like crap. Sometimes you got to look at that's a pretty good football team that we've been telling you was going to be a good football team for months, right? And they did some great things coaching-wise. They did some great things player-wise. They had some guys that were like, I got a chance to make a name for myself today, and I'm going to do it. Dwayne Carter did that. You know what I mean? Like different Jamie on Franklin. You don't think that that kid had a little something to prove on Saturday night. Kid left everything he had out on the field on Saturday. So uh, sometimes Ryan, you just gotta be able to tip your cap and say, we didn't play well. This is looking at from a coach's standpoint. We didn't play well. Those kids played out of their minds. We still won the game. Let's learn from it. Marcus Freeman said it perfectly. Let's learn from it. Get better at it. Don't just rely, you know, Hey, we won. All good. Forget about it. No, you won. Got to get better. But part of that, what happened on Saturday night, guys, is is Duke deserves some credit for how that game got played, too. Yeah, there's we no doubt. Do that enough. We don't do that enough. I mean, yeah. there's there's two football teams that played on Saturday, and it's not all just what, everything Notre Dame did wrong. It's also that Duke forced the issue and made a lot of plays, right? <laughs> like it's 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 right. yeah. We need to give guys like Dwayne Carter credit for what they did. Jamie on Franklin corners did outside i think they were pretty solid in coverage for the most part riley leonard made some great plays he also didn't make some some throws yeah i mean like we we need to have full analysis i think is kind of my biggest thing there and give i I will give duke all the credit in the world and i've been trying to do it as much as possible mike elko did a great job coaching that football team and that football team played their guts out man and they i mean they did i mean because they were easily the less talented team of the two but they were in that football game had a chance to win because of their coaching because of their attention to detail and because of the fire they played with it was great great job by duke yep absolutely now if this would have happened against tennessee state or navy or central michigan and notre dame needed a fourth quarter comeback to win i'd probably have a different reaction it would be less about tip my cap to central michigan and like how the heck did you let a, a mediocre Mac team hang around with you, right? Yeah. But this was a darn good football team, a top 20 football team on the road coming off of a rough, brutal emotional loss against a really good football team. Yeah. Um, and and like you said, Ryan, those kids, Duke played like a team that really believed they could beat Notre Dame. Yep. They did. It just Notre Dame also has a lot of heart. And at the end of the day, they had better players. Uh, that's what it came down to. But I I gained so much appreciation for, for that football team from what they did on Saturday. And I hope that they can bounce back from this loss too and not let it kind of derail their season because yeah. this team has a chance to make some noise in the ACC, in my opinion, Ryan. Absolutely. 
can make some their noise. quarterbacks back soon because he's a high ankle sprain that could be tricky. Yeah. Yeah. But I'm just glad it wasn't worse. Yeah. Uh, and their bye week is coming at the, because so even if it, even if he has to miss games, Ryan, it's less games because of the bye. Sure. It really is. And the worst time of it is so they can completely shut him down for a week. That is huge without missing the game. You know what yeah. I mean? Without missing, you know, and it's a good time this week in practice to get their backup quarterback some much needed reps without having to play him in a game so far. So we'll we'll see how it goes, man. But um I I really I, I would hate to see Duke season get derailed because their quarterback got injured at the end of a game. That would um on the last play. Yeah. 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 <laughs> All right. I'm just glad you have the the chat off right now. All right, let's see. Um he answered that question here from Salty. Um, why can't Florida win in an away game, Ryan? <laughs> I I mean, Salty, why, why couldn't they win that? I mean, look, I, I think because I know it's a joking question, obviously, but like the, the, the point of the matter is, is that this Florida team's not incredibly talented, right? Like it's not. I think that this is going to be a team that's going to be hovering slightly over 500 this year. I mean, I just think they're seven and five, maybe eight and four football team. So I know it's a joking question, but like that yeah. team is being built right now. It wasn't in a yep. great spot from a roster perspective when Napier showed up and Napier has got to figure it out and he's recruiting very well in the 2024 class. Oh so like, yeah. Hopefully he can get it turned around. I hope so. If they can keep this linebacker class together, Ryan, yeah, it's, it's going to be class. a really good linebacker group, but there's some other dudes that, I mean, DJ Lagway's raw, but that kid has yeah. one of the strongest arms you're going to see. He's, he's got a lot of talent, man. Oh, he's a freak. Yeah. Yeah. And he's doing a really nice job on the recruiting trail right now. And that's why you want to say to some fans sometimes like, could you guys just shut up just for five minutes? Because you guys are going to derail this whole thing. Cause you're just yeah. going to, you're so insane with your, I got a buddy, I had a buddy money. He's like, you think Nabier's going to be fired? I was like, do you know what their record is? He's like, no, I don't. I was like, seriously, that's exactly the problem. But all you're seeing is the, cause he goes on message boards. That's where he gets all these things from. I'm like, you have no, they're three and two. They've lost to two top 25 football teams. And, and they weren't good losses. They didn't play well in either loss. They also spanked Tennessee. Like they're not a great football team yet. They don't have a great roster yet. They're trying to win games in the sec with Graham Mertz at quarterback guys. You know what I mean? Like give them some time to get his players there. And it's harder to do that sometimes when you've got all this toxicity in your like like once that stuff set in for Gus Malzahn, he had no chance to recover. It didn't matter what he did. There's nothing he's going to be able to do because it was so toxic. And and these fan bases just uh, maybe they do realize it, and that's the whole point. They just want to feel like they have some kind of control. But it's just like, could you guys just shut up for just one off season or one season? Just like, hey, look, you know what? Like if like you know how LSU fans are making all these excuses for Brian Kelly. Sure. Like that's how Florida fans should actually be genuinely actually m- have a good argument to say about their football team. Hey guys, playing a lot of young kids. We're not there yet. This is all we have, right? We're going to keep building these kids up and we're going to try and we're giving good effort, but you know, we got to go out and get better. Like all this crap, the excuses LSU fans are using right now are legitimate things that Florida fans should be using. But oh, unfortunately for-, for Florida, they don't have a head coach who's constantly like reconditioning people's minds to lower expectations. That's the problem that yeah. Billy Napier has is he refuses to lower expectations. Well, I, I said so. it before the season. I truly believe it. This is one of the worst Florida rosters I've seen in several it's not years. Good. Like it's, it's not a good roster. So no. yeah, I, I didn't expect them to be a great football team. They've actually played a, 
little bit better for the most part than I thought they were going to play. If I'm being well, honest, because like, like even like, against Utah, Ryan, if they don't shoot themselves in the foot four or five like really bad times, that's a much different football game in the fourth quarter. You know, and and um, yeah, they're just it's not a great roster. And then they had some of their better players for some just inexplicably left. Like the one, I still don't understand what the receiver. He ended up at Cincinnati. Like oh Henderson, yeah, Andrew Henderson, yeah. Did he get kicked off the team and we just never heard about it? It's it was wild. It's very yeah, wild. I'm not really sure about that one. Yeah, and they're not very good this year either. No. Well, All right. Who thought about that? Yeah, I know, right? Yeah. We had a question from Craig Bolton. It says mailbag. Did we run a player on the field late on Duke's last touchdown? It looked like a defensive end came in late. I actually didn't notice that, Ryan. So I I didn't notice that. Was it was that the was that where they flared the receiver out off of the motion yeah. like that one? Um, yeah, I, I didn't notice if they did. I'm gonna go back and look at it, but no, I, I I didn't. I'll go back and look at it here while we're going to other questions, and I'll answer it later. But I I didn't know that. I didn't notice that. It could also have been a situation maybe where because uh, sometimes you'll see that Ryan because the, the team will substitute. Yeah. And then and they, have to, they have to let you sub. They right. Have to let you sub right. So you're running the guy on, but you're allowed to do that. I don't remember that being the case in that instance, but I'm, I'm going to go back and look at that. Actually, I think I, I think I found that play already. Cause that's what I love about the condensed, the condensed games that the ACC puts out. Yeah. Cause you can so quickly work through uh, the different things, but I'm going to check that play out, Craig, and, and I'll come back to here in a second. And our next question is from Irish in Ohio. It says, Brian, you mentioned in a previous pod that you never know what to expect from Golden's defense. Do you think that makes it harder for opposing offensive coordinators? Defense seems unpredictable. It can be if if you're doing it correctly. It can be. Yeah. There's, there's some merit to where as long – and here's what I mean by it can be. It all comes down to is when you're doing all that different stuff, can your players execute all of it at the same level week to week? That that's, that's when it can be a problem this year. They're doing that much more than they did last year, but here's my concern about it. Ryan, is it sustainable and and not even so much sustainable this year? Uh, that's a still a question mark, but is it sustainable from year to year? And, right. and this year you've got a very veteran defensive football team. You've got a six-year senior starting at one end. You've got a fifth-year senior at nose. You've got a senior at D-tackle and Rover, or I mean Viper. You've got three fifth-year seniors starting a linebacker. You've got a fifth-year senior at corner. You've got a sixth-year senior at safety. And you have another senior at safety who's already graduated. Actually, mm-hmm. your next two safeties, matter of fact, your top four safeties and your nickel are all college graduates seniors and yeah. fifth years and six years, but they're all college graduates. The only young guy right now that's starting for Notre Dame is Benjamin Morrison. And his job is pretty easy. Cause it's just, they, they go, go play man. You know, I, I mean, easy, like schematically, like it's not like it is for linebackers and stuff. And they, they bring guys off the bench that are younger, but those guys aren't playing a ton of reps. If you're going to try to do this much, if you need to do this much to, to be good, it's harder to, to maintain that same level of execution and consistency from year to year because there are going to be years where you're younger. That would be my my problem. Now, he may be the kind of coach that in years where they're younger, he can tone that stuff down. He just doesn't strike me as that kind of guy. That Because he tried to do that last year, and it was part of the problem they had last year. So, Unpredictability is great, but only when you, the unpredictability you're bringing to an opposition – 
is structured. And like, like if I'm just throwing a bunch of stuff at, at the wall and my guys don't understand what they're doing, then it's structurally going to be imbalanced and not work correctly because guys are going to be out of position a lot. There's going to be miscommunication. But if structurally you're solid and you're also causing unpredictability, that's great for you, right? Because then an offense or defense can't really key in on you. They can't. They're like, I don't know what this guy's going to run. But they're, but it's about being technically and it's about being technically sound on the football field and being in the right spot. If you're not there, then you're just a mess. You're a you're a user of chaos, but not a master of it, right? You're out Grinch, <laughs> which is not a place that you want to be. Agree. All right. Yep. Here's an interesting one, Ryan. Does Michigan have the nation's best defense at this time? So I know Michigan's a hard team to judge based upon the fact that they haven't played a good football team yet, but I'm going to say something that actually hurts me as a Notre Dame fan. I think Michigan right now is the best all around team in college football. In my opinion, I don't think there's a hole in that roster. I really don't. That's all. I, I mean, I think, well, I think I their quarterbacks to, playing to much better ball. That, yeah. I mean, the quarterback's playing much better ball than last year. They have two very good running backs. They have seniors at wide receiver that are being productive. They have a good tight end, veteran offensive line. Defensively, there's not really a hole in that defense structurally. Like, I mean, it's just it's defensively, I can go with you on that. But if Notre I mean, what's Dame, what's the hole offensively? I don't know. I mean, if you let me explain, I'll, I'll tell you what I think. Uh, if Notre Dame played the schedule that Michigan played, and the first time they scored more than 35 points was the fifth game of the year people would have a problem. I think the question I have about the Michigan offense is I don't I don't know that the things that that I would view as concerns for them in the bigger moments cuz like if we're talking about are they one of the best teams in college football? Yes, they've proven that for 2 years in a row and this season because they're not playing great on offense but they're still beating teams 30 something to 7, 30 something to 3, 30 something to 6 every week. The question is is okay, we didn't know that Notre Dame had some holes that they have. So they played somebody and then those things kind of got exposed to me, Michigan, they've got good receivers, but I, I still question whether or not they can go out into a game against a, an Ohio state, the way they're playing defense against a, a Georgia teams like that and play the way that they need to play to be the best team in college football. I think that's still a question mark for me. I still have the same question marks about JJ McCarthy. He's playing very well in those moments. His not, not the Nebraska game, but the one before, uh, he was, uh, no, it was two games ago against Bowling Green. He was bad, yeah. um, you know, through three interceptions. And again, Bowling Green's not very good, but three picks against Bowling Green, you're not going to win a lot of good football games going eight of 13 with three picks. So I think Michigan's a very good football team, but I just need to see them play somebody that's good that can say, hey, let me see your, 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 you know, Roman Wilson made a great catch this week. Let me see you do that against somebody that's good. That's where I'm at with that. And so uh, what's that? I said, I partly get that. I just think that like talent wise, I mean, I just don't really see a hole in that roster. I I don't think their talent for being the best team at wide receiver is, and that's kind of what hurt them, you know, a little bit in the last couple of years when they get into the postseason, especially against Georgia two years ago is they, they got great offensive line and got great run game. I mean, their backfield is legit. JJ's a good athlete can make plays with his legs, but can they really go out against the better teams on the schedule and make plays in the pass game? That's my question, and I still have that question at quarterback and receiver. Defensively, Ryan, I'll say this. They're better on defense than I thought they were going to be. I thought they are going to be a really good defense, but not an elite defense. And I know they haven't played anybody, but 
they have just absolutely just dominated everybody they've played so far. I mean, the most rushing yards they've given up is 106 yards. The, they have yet to give up 200 passing yards in a game. I know you haven't played great teams. Rutgers doesn't suck. Rutgers is, is not a, this is not a three, four years ago Rutgers team. It's not, it's a, it's not very, it's not good, but it's like, this is a, this is a team where you're going to have to do something. Um, But you're dominating on defense in ways that I didn't think this defense was going to do to this degree in the passing game. So that was the thing I'd talk about during the season, Ryan is, or during the off season is I got questions about the secondary outside of Will Johnson. I don't love their safeties. I don't love their other Who's going to replace DJ Turner. This pass defense has been a lot better than I thought it was going to be. The NFL so, actually really likes their second, their um, safeties. The, the say that again. I said, the, I didn't hear the beginning. The NFL really likes their safeties. Yeah. The page kid and whoever the other kid is. I forget. The other DJ. Kid. Is it? Um, I forget. Is that more Rod Moore. Rod, Rod Moore. Moore. Yeah. Rod Moore. Yep. Rod Moore. Yep. Yep. Here's one, Ryan. This is kind of I, I discussed this a little bit earlier. I think it's when one of the times you stepped away. Would you this is from Irish and Ohio? Would you consider starting the game with some up tempo this week? D- depends what the first play of the game is. I mean, if it's a positive play, then yes, I would start up tempo. I mean, up tempo is only good though when you get into a good rhythm, though, right? Like, I mean, you have to if you're going up tempo, but it's like I just ran the ball for two yards and then I had an incomplete pass, and then up tempo doesn't really matter, right? Like up tempo matters when you're getting consistently good gains, right? So Irish and Ohio, if I get a first or second play, I get a nice gain, maybe a little bit of a chunk play, then yeah, man, let's go, let's yeah. race it, let's get it going a little bit for sure. But you do have to go into the game thinking, hey, if we're going to do this, we're going to go tempo. To your point, because okay. if you go minus three on your first play, right? Let's say you run toss. First play, okay. go minus yep. three. Okay, can we speed up and you know what I mean? You can get yourself into a funk that way, what you're saying, exactly. right? But but you also don't just decide at that moment after the first play. And this is what I'm, Ryan's not saying this. I'm adding to this. You don't also go on the first play. Oh, gosh, we completed a ball for eight yards. Let's go tempo real fast. It's got to be part of who you are. So then maybe if you do like first play the game, you get sacked. That actually might be a better example, Ryan. You get sacked yeah. on the first play. Then you say, hey, look, let's – Let's slow it down. And then maybe series two, you go tempo. But I will say they do need to have a plan for an early series. And it's not because I think tempo is this end-all be-all. This offense needs to get some rhythm, and they need to get some confidence. And I do think a little blend of tempo can do that. I I do. I I agree. I I definitely want to see tempo at time. There's no doubt about that. Yep. The month of October is going to be jam-packed with huge games for Notre Dame. And ticket hunting for those games can be stressful, which is why you need to check out Game Time. Whether you're looking for last-minute tickets to this week's top 25 matchup between the Irish and Louisville, or next week when Notre Dame takes on USC, Game Time is the go-to place for you. That's where I went and got tickets to the Notre Dame-Clemson game for my mom and dad. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theaters near you. With killer deals on last-minute tickets and their best price guarantee, you can stop stressing over the tickets and start getting hyped for the fun you'll have. Forget planning months in advance. Game Time has deals on tickets right up to the day of the event. Get exclusive flash deals on tickets for football, basketball, baseball games, concerts, comedy shows, theaters, and more. The Game Time guarantee means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section or and row for less, 
Game Time will credit you 110% of the difference. It's the fastest growing ticket app in the country for a reason. Get images of your seat before you buy so you know exactly what to expect when you arrive. Buy tickets in a matter of seconds, two taps, and you're set. Tickets are sent directly to your phone so you never have to dig through your email. Snag the tickets without the stress with Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code IRISH for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem code IRISH for $20 off. Download the Game Time app today. Last minute tickets, lowest price guaranteed. That's gametime.co. And then, Ryan, I know you got to go. There's one more question down here that I wanted to get that I thought would be a good one for you. Okay. Give me one second. Let me find this. Uh, all right, here, where are we at? So we answered that. We answered that. Um, here's the, here it is right here. This is kind of following up on the Michigan conversation because I'm starting to hear more and more people say this, and you and I have not talked about this team off the air, so I really want to get your opinion on this. Okay. This is from Jeff Fluke, and Jeff Fluke asked a similar question with Salty did about Michigan. Is Texas the best team in the country right now? They're playing very good football right now, um, but I, I would say, like, I mean, I still need to see more from a couple different spots for Texas. I mean, I'm a very player-driven person, right? And it's like, we, like, like the – the JJ McCarthy thing for Michigan, like it's a very mm. fair comment that you have, right? As far as like wanting to see more, I want to see a lot more out of Quinn Ewers, though. Like I want to yeah. see a lot more out of him. He hasn't shown sure. me anything where I'm just like, he showed me some spurts, but like he hasn't shown me a a nice sample size of like being like that's that guy, right? Hmm. Offensive line wise, they've played better, but are they still to the level of a championship team? I still want to see a little bit more there. And their secondary Swiss cheese, man. Like it is. Yeah. I think their front's good. I mean, their front is very good in my opinion. Yeah. But like secondary, if Alabama had a just good quarterback in that game, they're going for a lot more yardage in that one. Like there was a lot of opportunities in that Alabama game where I just think Jalen Milrow wasn't able to capitalize on it, to be honest. So the same thing happened. So I'm going to agree with you about the O-line. It's better. Yep. How good is it? Yep. The – Quinn Ewers thing, I'll I'll say something in a second. The secondary thing, the same thing happened against Kansas, Ryan. If you go back and watch yeah. that game, there's a lot of guys coming open, but Jason Bean can't complete those balls in instances where I think Jalen Daniels would. The Quinn Ewers thing is 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 that I found that interesting. Could you elaborate on that? Because here's I saw a kid that went to Bama and threw for 349 yards and three touchdowns. And I yeah. saw a kid that ripped up Baylor, and I saw a kid that last week ripped up Kansas and gets the game started off with like a 30-something yard touchdown run, and he's got five rushing touchdowns this season. So yeah. I'm not saying he is like, oh, gosh, everything they said about him coming out of high school is true. He was never that good. Oh, I think he's a lot better than what the what the, what the the moniker of him was coming into the season. He's a yeah. much better player than that. I think I he's mean, been a pretty was... good football player. And and the other thing I'll say this is I feel this, this Texas team yeah. – uh, and it's not because they're better at running back because they're not, but I feel like because the offensive line is better, they're yep. much more able to to make it not all be about him mm -hmm. than last year's team. And so I would sure. say if you want to make a case that Texas has the best offense in college football, I could be sensitive to that, although I'd still say it's Washington. But Texas yep. is more balanced than Washington is, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. But the secondary thing to me, when they play a team that's got a really good quarterback and and, and some and, and receivers – yeah. they're going to it's going to be a shootout. That's why I, I said if so. Jalen Daniels I said this to begin if Jalen Daniels plays on Saturday, Texas wins, but it's, it's a close. very high scoring game in yeah. my opinion.
very high I, scoring I mean, game. I, I think that Alabama game just really showed some warts for me in that game because yes. I agree. I think that, that Quinn Ewers is showing growth that I thought he would have this all this season, to be honest with you. And it's been good to see him playing better football. Yeah. But I'm more worried about Quinn Ewers is not the first of my concerns on this Texas team. Secondary is one. Two would be is that is that offensive line really good, or did you have one good performance against one good defense, and then right. maybe you're just playing against a bunch of not great fronts otherwise? Like, right. I can't name a single player on Kansas' defensive line. I can't name a single one, right? No, so and they, they don't yeah. have that. They don't yeah. have I, 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 Baylor, I will say this like, again. I thought I thought Texas did a really nice job shutting down the, the, the Kansas run game because you've spoken about their back, who's a dude. But yeah. it's a lot easier to shut that guy down when Jason Bean's their quarterback, and and now he's a good athlete. But there's just there was no threat to yeah. get beat. He's just game he's just Bean. an athlete. He's just an yeah. Athlete. He he should be yeah. playing receiver. And there, well, the, the, Illinois the game, NFL will happened. make him play receiver. Yeah. They will make. Well, you him saw play him play a little receiver against <laughs> Illinois uh, yeah. beginning of the year, right? I mean, they were using them together. That's what he. Apparently, should be. he was like a 10, 400 meter kid in high yeah. school. Like he can he's run, man. Like he can athletic. run. Did you see like the? I thought he pitched that ball on the touchdown. I actually thought that was a pitch. Yeah, I thought it was. When they showed replay, I realized it wasn't, but I thought he was trying to – but, I mean, just the athleticism he showed on that play. He should be playing in another position. But Jalen Daniels can legit make throws that that kid just can't make. And and, and there were guys – and they dropped a couple balls. Like If they were to play Washington right now, that's a 50-something to 50-something game. I agree. I mean, in my – because neither one of those – Neither one of those defenses, well, maybe that 50-something to 50-something is an, an, an extreme, but you get the point 40s, that I'm making. Maybe, yeah. They're throwing for a lot of yards against this Texas, Texas secondary with that group. So, Ryan, I know you got to go, so we'll go ahead and rock this out. So, uh, uh, fatherly duties are calling uh, for Mr. Robert. So, we're going to work through a few more of these questions, and then we'll get out of here. So, this has been a, a fun show today so far. Uh Question from Salty, which which game, which is a game you need to see this weekend, Texas, Oklahoma, or Alabama at Texas A&M? Uh, well, Salty, they're both interesting in different reasons, for different reasons. Number one for me, the Texas-Oklahoma game is I want to find out if Texas is legit and if Oklahoma is legit. I have I have a lot more faith in Texas. I, I would not – I would agree with Ryan. I do not think that Texas is the best team in college football right now because I don't think their def- – I still don't think their defense is that good. Uh, I think their offense is a lot better. And to me, to be the best team, you need to have some level of balance. And I don't think that they have that. I'd still have Georgia number one. I know they've had their issues. But again, you guys know my stance. You're the champ until somebody beats you. I think Washington's probably been the most impressive team I've seen so far uh, this season. But have they been tested by a really good offense yet? I don't think so. So I still have some question marks there. But I will say this. I'm not a believer yet in Oklahoma. I just I watched them play against Cincinnati and SMU, the two best teams they've played, and they looked very mediocre on offense. Scored 28 against SMU, 20 against Cincinnati. Their defense has gotten better this year. There's no doubt about that. I will I will give them credit there, but they haven't really played a great offense yet either. So we're going to learn a lot about Oklahoma this weekend. And this Texas A&M Alabama game is so fascinating because you know Texas A&M the last two years has played Alabama really tough, and they beat them two years ago in Tuscaloosa. Almost beat them last year. I mean, they're, they I, they were inside the 15, 20 yard line at the end of the game with a chance to win. And and so that was, I mean, they've played them tough and they're rolling right now. But but Bama's a bit of a, a wounded animal at the current moment. And, and so how are they going to be? They had a nice bounce back against Mississippi State, but Mississippi State's just not that good this year. And, uh, you know, th- th- they got destroyed by 
by LSU. Uh, they barely beat Arizona. They got beat by South Carolina, who's not that good this year. Bama worked them pretty good last week, but Bama had 360-some yards of offense, something like that, last week. You know, so so I'm very curious how that game is going to go. And Texas A&M needs this game bad. But look, you don't think Jimbo wants to be a guy that puts sort of like the final nail in, in Nick Saban's, you know, career coffin at Alabama. Alabama loses another game. This If Alabama, I'll say this, if Alabama loses to Texas A&M, this is going to be a really hot take. But I, I believe this. If they lose to A&M, they will lose four games this year. Because that'll make them four and two. They got Arkansas at home, Tennessee at home, LSU at home, at Kentucky, at Auburn. Auburn's a better football team, a lot better football team than they were last year. And by the time they get to game 12, they could be they could be dangerous against this version of Bama. They're gonna have to, and, and the reason I say this, because if Bama bounces back and they go beat Texan on the road, then that tells me they've figured out their problems and they've addressed them enough to where they're still Bama, right? If they go on the road this week and lose to to Texas A and M, it's going to be problematic. And and LSU at home is is not going to be a guaranteed win for them because LSU can score. And and now I know LSU's defense is terrible, but can Alabama really score like that? I don't. They haven't shown me that right now. And losing to Texas A and M would be further evidence of that. And then you've got at Kentucky. That's not a gimme right now. I mean, the way Kentucky's playing and the way Bama's playing. So if they if they lose this game, they will lose four games this year. I'm, I'm marking it down. Now, perhaps one of them's a bowl game, and they lose three in the regular season, but minimum three in the regular season if they lose this weekend, and I would lean towards four. I really do. I, I don't know that this Bama team is prepared to handle that type of thing. They don't have Bryce Young to bail them out last year when they were on the verge of, of losing some games last year, so. I, uh, it's going to be a very fascinating game. So if I can only watch one of the two, I'd watch the Alabama Texas A and M game. That would be the one that I would watch. It was just the, it was just if I can only watch one of those. That'd be a really good one, very very good one. Joe Allen asks, do you think that Notre Dame will have to try to disguise more plays of the tight end since Evans is on fire? Well, I don't know that they need to disguise it, Joe. I do think that you need to to maybe add a little bit to the tight end repertoire from a route standpoint. You know, right now they've ran crossers, options, seams, and ends. It's kind of it. You know, maybe maybe there's some different matchups that you can do, uh, you know, where you, you do some delays. Maybe you can do some things where you line him up outside a little bit and try to get in some, some, some unique – matchups like here's something i would do i would put three receivers to one side out of 11 or you could even do it out of 21 and have like jeremiah love or Jadarian price there and go three by one and see how they defend it how do they line up do they put a safety out there do they put a backer out there uh do they leave a corner out there because if they leave a corner out there then i've got some matchups over here with my three receivers that i could go to pass game wise if they put a linebacker out there then there's some things i can do the pass game with mitchell Edmonds, and if they put a safety out there you know, then, then, you know, there's still some matchups I like there, but the other thing I could, that you could do is you could line up in some looks where you go three by one and you could actually go, you know, put two of the receivers on the line of scrimmage and have Mitchell Evans off. And then all of a sudden motion him, depending on how they line up and now get yourself in some situations where he can block backside, where he can maybe go over and do an overload type of situation where you get numbers, where you kind of quickly make that defense react, where, 
you know, they, they put a safety out here or a backer out here. And, and, and especially if they put a safety out here, I would then line him up off, send him on a pretty quick motion and, and try to get him going somewhere in a run game, maybe some kind of screen game, things along those lines. So there's some things that I would do. And that's the kind of creativity I think Notre Dame needs to do right now with their receiving core, not really just playing lights out football is if you have a receiving core that that's just not dominant right now, then you can either complain about it and, and keep running the stuff you're running and just know that against good teams, we're just not going to have success or B you say, you know what? We need to maybe go into our bag of tricks because we got a really good offensive line. Usually we've got really diverse running backs. We can do a lot of things with personnel wise. We can do a lot of two back stuff. Now that Eli Raritan is back and Cooper Flanagan showing he can block, you know, there's some things you can do out of 13 personnel. We keep Cooper Flanagan attached and and with a running back and you've got, you can get seven man protection still. And now you can do some stuff with Holden Stace and, and, um, and Mitchell Evans in the past game, if teams match you personnel wise. So those are things that I just want to see this offensive staff be a little bit more creative with how it uses its unique personnel this season. And, uh, Mitchell Evans is key to that the way he's playing the last two weeks, Joe. So I definitely, I definitely think when a guy's on fire, you add to his repertoire. But the other thing is when a guy's on fire like this, you use him at times as a decoy. Hey, we're going to put him here, get the defense thinking we're going right here. But in reality, we're trying to get your safety to bite down because we want to bang a, we want to bang a post route behind it or something like that. So, you know, or we're going to run an in cut and then a post. And then I'm running my wheel out of that side because your linebacker, you know, because like right now, Notre Dame's running a lot of wheels to the boundary side, right, with the X. And then they're bringing crossers over. And right now, you know, linebackers are kind of running with that and just kind of taking the wheel. They've seen it. Well, what if you do it like out of out of 12 personnel or 11 personnel, actually, and maybe you do like kind of like a bunch set and, and or, you know, not, excuse me, a, a, a normal spread set. Don't bunch it like you have so much in the past. And then use Mitchell Evans to maybe run like an in cut or an option route, ran that post route. Well, now that linebacker might be a little bit more keyed on Mitchell Evans than the running back. Now you run your wheel concept out of that, right, out of the boundary. And if that guy flies out, then Mitchell Evans is right there on some kind of option route against the safety. And if that safety comes down and the backer jumps that, now you've got a post route coming behind it. So just some different things like that that I would like to see them do that that you're using using that because that might not have worked a couple weeks ago because teams weren't going to respect Mitchell Evans the way they did Michael Mayer. The way he's played the last two weeks, you know, I, I think you've got to start using him also not just to get him the football, but also using him to create some of those big play opportunities that we talked about a little bit earlier. I think those things are are going to be part of it as well. So that's I would do a little bit of that with him. Here's an interesting one. Um, this one I hear from Salty. Will Dave Aranda be Purdue's uh, Baylor's coach next year? He's got a lot better shot at it now after they they beat UCF this past weekend, but uh, it's it's not going great right now. They've got Texas Tech this weekend and Cincinnati and Iowa State and Houston the next four games before they go at Kansas State at TCU. They're catching a little bit of a break. There's no Oklahoma on the schedule. They've already kind of got through the tough part. They had to play at they had to play Utah. They had to play Texas. They had to play at UCF. They were able to get a win over UCF. They're struggling right now, two and three. But you got a chance these next four weeks, next four games. Home games against Texas Tech, Iowa State, and Houston, and then at Cincinnati. You've got to win those games. You got to at least go three and one in those games, and then you got West Virginia at home. So I mean, there's still a chance actually for them to make a bowl game. They're going to need to. They're going to have to rally back because if if they continue to fall apart, you kind of look at Dave Aranda and say, you know, they had that one good year where they were winning with the roster that was primarily built by Matt Rule, 
And outside of that, that's done anything. He's gone two and seven, six and seven, and then this year, outside of that twelve and two season. So I don't know that I'd say he's in. He'll, he'll you know, that would mean he'd be fired next year, but he will definitely at least very at least go into the hot seat next year. And and that's going to be interesting. And this is kind of a point Ryan made earlier that's going to be interesting: is do do these administrations and athletic departments feel pressure? with the major upheaval happening next year, that they've got to make some sort of splash as these new leagues start coming together and forming. You know, yeah, you're welcoming Colorado, Utah uh, to the league next year. You're welcoming the Arizona schools to the, the the league next year. If you don't have faith in your coach, do you really want to you know, kind of take a couple seasons of tech catching L's or do you say, hey, we need to make some splash higher now and kind of go into it then? There's going to be some teams – there's going to be some teams that are going to are going to hmm, going to have some tough decisions to make. Salty also asked uh, who really won the game, USC or Colorado. USC won, but showcased the absence of a defense. Colorado lost, but refused to quit and stormed back to make it a one-score game. USC definitely won because I would question that. Yeah, Colorado stormed back. USC went away from what was working defensively early because Colorado scored late. It was th- was a thirty-four to seven at one point in time. I, I think USC just kind of got out of their funk, didn't show a lot of maturity in the second half. The other thing that bothered me at that game is the clock management Colorado showed at the end of that game. Like They needed a little bit more urgency. I mean, they're running – and it's not that they necessarily needed to speed up and snap the ball in five seconds, but they're running the football like up the middle like two times in a row and just running time off the clock to the point where if you – you had to use all your timeouts, and if you don't get an onside kick, you're done. Maybe – if you could have gone a little bit more tempo, maybe you could score with like two minutes left, keep a couple of your timeouts to where, you know, you don't have to onside kick. Or if you do onside kick, you still have time to stop them. And, uh, you know, I would not have onside kicked if you could have scored with over two minutes left if you had some timeouts left. So I, I did not like the way Colorado handled it at the end. So they both had their issues in the second half. But um, USC was still the better team that day. There's no doubt about it. Oh, this is funny. Um, Irish Gordy not my favorite BKism, blaming players, blaming coaches, blaming youth, blaming NIL, rudely responding to media, scaring away recruits with lack of awareness and communication, et cetera. The part about that got me that just made literally made me laugh out loud uh, is when he said they asked him about did, were there some issues with play calling. Now, keep in mind that his defense had just given up 55 points. They had just blown a 49 to 40 lead in the second half. And they had just given up 706 yards of offense, 317 rushing and 319 defense. And they asked him where there's some issues with play calling. And he said, I didn't really notice any problems with play calling. And then just proceeds to like, you know, the players basically didn't get it done. I, because, and the reason he does that is because Brian Kelly has this really weird thing where if it's like he feels, that if he doesn't, if he admits that there's a problem at coaching, that's the thing he's most responsible for is the coaches, right? Can't control the players. You know, they got to go make plays, but I'm responsible for the coaches. And and he's got this thing where if if he admits the coaches did something wrong, it's almost as if he feels like he's admitting that he made a mistake and he's utterly unwilling to do that. Anytime Brian Kelly ever takes ownership of something, it's always like backhanded. This is on me, but kind of thing. And to sit there and say that you didn't see any issues with play calling and this was all a a player thing, like really? 
they the last two games against Arkansas and Ole Miss, they have gone 17 of 29 on third down. Like, think about that. And if you add the if you add the Florida State game into the conversation, they have given up they have those opponents have gone 26 of 43 on third down. Florida State, Arkansas, and Ole Miss. Think about that. 26 of 43, that is a 60.5% third down rate. And you're telling me that is all players? Come on, man. That is um, that is th- that is peak Brian Kelly tr- hot trash right there. That is exactly what that is. Absolutely what that is. A couple more before we get out of here. There's one from J.P. Buellsfeld that I liked. Uh, J.P. says, if Riley Leonard wanted to transfer to Notre Dame next year, would you welcome him, or is it time to develop our talented high school quarterback recruits? Riley Leonard would be on a short list of guys that I would look at. I'm a ve- I'm very high on Riley Leonard as a quarterback, very high. And I think being in a place like Notre Dame would be good for him because uh, it would uh, it would help develop him in more of a pro-style type of system. I, I don't know why he would leave. Duke's got a pretty good situation there. It's not like he's in a small school. Uh, maybe if Mike Elko left, maybe he might look to, to go somewhere, but he's one of the few guys that I would look at. I'm, I'm, I'm very much in JP, a develop you've got Kenny Minchie, you've got CJ Carr, Steve Angeli, develop those kids unless there's a stud out there. And I think Riley Leonard's got a chance to be a stud, excuse me, got a chance to be a stud. So he's a guy that I would certainly look at. Certainly would look at that one. A couple of people asked this. Do you think Jalen Seed's playing time is about right, or is Notre Dame underutilizing him? I thought his playing time was about right prior to this last game. And Jalen did not play. I think he played like one snap on defense. So unless he was injured, I did not. That one did not make a lot of sense to me. He played 10 against Ohio State. That's a little light. I'm surprised because based on what his skill set is and based on some things that I've heard about him, I'm surprised they don't use him to rush the quarterback more. He's according to Pro Football Focus, he's had 21 pass rushes on the season. He's got five pressures on 21. That's it's one every four pass rushes. Your other linebackers are like one every nine, one every ten. Maris had a great one, great rate this year. I think it was like what's like four out of eight, four out of nine, something like that. Three out of eight. Maris had a really good one this past week against um against Duke. Actually, well, it was it was it was it was three out of eight is what it was. It's a really good success rate as a pass rusher to get a pressure on the quarterback. I'm surprised they're not using him more to rush the quarterback. Now, I, part of it is, you know, he's missed a lot of tackles and all that, but that's fine. I get that. That's why maybe you don't play him a ton of linebacker right now, but he's a really twitchy athletic kid. He's also had some good moments. It's not like his only moments have been bad moments. He has some good moments as well. And, and, you know, I just, I look at him and I'm like, man, this kid, this kid has too much explosiveness athletically to not use, but one snap against Duke. I just, um, I understand why that game would have been more limited because you really needed discipline in that game and, and assignment and discipline, meaning from like an assignment correctness standpoint, but I'd really like to see them get him more involved. I, I, I'd like, really like to see that. So I, I went back and watched the, the play and I did not see them run a guy on late in a way that would concern me. I, I didn't notice that. And maybe the TV copy didn't show it. May I, I just, I didn't see it. I could be missing something. So you can always bring that up into, into another conversation. So that's going to do it for today's show. Everybody I want to thank everybody for being with us today. Um, oh, here, here's one. There was a question about the linebackers that Cole just also asked. And Ken Pluta asked earlier, he says, I believe all the senior linebackers, Marish, JD and Kaiser have a year remaining. 
how many do you think get offered to come back next year? I don't know how many will get offered, so I can only offer you my opinion. And and my opinion is they all have eligibility to come back next year because they're sixth-year guys. I would I would probably offer I would probably offer Marist the chance to come back, maybe. But honestly, at this point in time, I just I just feel like those are great kids. You've got to turn the page at some point in time. It's kind of like the quarterback conversation. So at most, I'd bring one of them back. If JD or Marist, I'd bring maybe one of them back. I wouldn't bring Jack Kaiser back. I I kind of feel like Marist, it's like, how much better is he going to get? I don't know if you think he can get a lot better, maybe bring him back to help his NFL stock. With like JD Bertrand, it's like, he just kind of is who he is. I like JD as a player more than most. But he's he is who he is. He's not going to come back next year and get better. It's time to kind of get those young kids going and develop those young kids. And it's the same kind of mindset I had yesterday, uh, Ken, when I was talking about the quarterback position is because they're getting into a situation of where it, it is now the the twelve team playoff. You're more able to over if you're a team like Notre Dame, where you're like, hey, we're really talented, but we have we're in a situation where. Um, we're, we're in a situation where, you know, we're young, then you're, you're in a situation where you can say, Hey, look, how many times I'm going to say we're in a situation, but you, you could say, Hey, look, we, we're going to, we're going to maybe take some lumps early and, and, and just deal with it because we feel if we can, if we can just get through the first five games and, and, and say, Hey, Sorry, just respond to something real quick. If we can get through the first five games and say, look, let's take our lumps, but we're, we come out of it four and one at worst. Those kids get some experience. They get that time under their belt in the system and get that time playing and all that. Once those kids click like middle of the year when the schedule starts to ramp up, you're going to be very dangerous. And I, I'd be willing to do that in in the, the what the current landscape will look like next year when that it that get down gets down to like where it doesn't have to be the four where the margin for error is super super thin if Notre Dame's 11 and one next year they're in the playoff if they're 10 and two there's a good there's a good chance that you're you're in the playoff right but to me it, it comes down to I want the more talented players in the field if you know not freshmen but like Drake Bowen and Nolan Ziegler and Jalen Sneed and and Jaden Osbury and Preston Zinner and even looking at the defensive line, you know, with, with some of those younger guys, it's like, you know, maybe it's time to move on with some of those guys where get your better players in the field, get your more talented players in the field and, and develop them. And that's what I would do. That that's kind of where I would be. Maybe bring one of them back to give you some leadership and all that. But honestly, if you bring a kid back for a sixth year, you kind of have to start them. Uh, I don't necessarily want to do that. I don't want to guarantee that except maybe Marist because again, Marist still has the highest ceiling, but I want to see Nolan Ziegler and Drake Bowen and Kingston Viliyama Asa competing for the mic job next year. I, and I, again, you guys know I'm a big JD Bertrand guy. It's not that JD's not a good player. It's just, I also know that JD has some limitations size and all those type of way, ways to where I want to get the bigger, the rangier, the the more physically gifted player on the field and let JD go try to become a professional. And I want to see him get that chance to do that. So that's where um, 
that's where I'm kind of at where with the linebacker. It's a it's a tough one. It's not as easy. Like I know some of you think, oh, it's an easy one. Of course you. It's not that easy. It's definitely not that easy because they're good football players. But I would I would like to see those linebackers, those young talented linebackers, get that shot. And again, that's why I felt that it was such a missed opportunity not to get Jaden Osbury and Drake Bone on the field against Central Michigan. You can afford for them to make some mistakes against Central Michigan. That would be great. Put it on film and show them, hey, this is what you got to do. And uh, I just that was it. Just is a missed opportunity, in my opinion. And if he plays well, now all of a sudden you can play him more. Which again, with the undersized guy like DJD Bertrand, if you felt good enough to play Drake Bowen because of how he played early, you know, 10, 12 snaps a game, and that's 10, 12 snaps off of JD Bertrand's body. By the time you get to November in the postseason, you've saved 100 to 120 snaps over the course of a season off of JD's body, which is going to make him quicker and fresher and, and, and all those type of things, which makes him better. So it's not, I'm not someone's like, oh, play him so eventually you can bench JD. It's not me, but I do think it, it's a, it was a missed opportunity not to to get a more of a rotation going there, and um, that's just going to kind of that's just going to basically be how it's going to be with Al Golden as the defensive coordinator. It's just he's always going to be a guy that um, errs on the side of playing the veterans that can get everybody lined up. That's just the way it's going to be. So that's going to do it for today's show, everybody. Hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit the notification bell, share this podcast. And if you have not done so, sign up for the message boards of boards at archbreakdown.com. Ryan has some intel on, on Davis Andrews' situation on the board. Uh, we'll have some more recruiting stuff up ho- coming up hopefully later in the week, over the next week before we get ready for USC. And, of course, I'll have my breakdown, the statistical breakdown of the game, uh, coming up on the message board. It's a message board-only thing as well at boards at archbreakdown.com. Definitely check that out. If you're listening via a podcast platform, I would love it if you could give us a five-star review. We'd really appreciate that very, very much. For until next time, six o'clock tonight, IB Nation Sports Talk here in about an hour. Tomorrow we will intro uh, Louisville. We'll talk a lot more about Louisville. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about what this game means for Notre Dame. Then we'll dive into Louisville specifically. And then, of course, we'll answer your questions in a mailbag afterwards. So have a great day, everybody. And we'll talk to you again very soon on the Irish Breakdown Podcast. Yep, yep.